face it, Kevin, you're just really cool. <laughs> Look how much this got an unnecessary dose of. All right. And I am Robert M. Price. I'm Dr. Daryl Ray. And- Hi, I'm Karen Lumley Care. Hi, I'm Aaron Roy. Hi, I'm Marissa Alexa McCool. Hi, I'm Jerry DeWitt. Hi, this is David Swaley from Dogma Debate. Hi, this is Dan Barker. Hi, I'm John McComb from The John McComb Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Drance. Hi, I'm Richard Carrier. Hi, I'm Rodney Tyson. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of The Thinking Atheist. Hey, guys, I'm Kara Santa Maria. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald. Hi, I'm Brian Keith Dalton. Hi, this is Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Distance, and we took a left of the valley. We did take a left of the valley. And a long turn in Albuquerque. And then, the left of the valley goes right to a goal. <laughs> right to a goal. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. And you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Sit down, Nancy Coming at you straight from the horse's mouth This is Left of the Valley My name is Kevin And I spilled all my steam remover on the studio carpet Luckily, it just cleaned itself up Faith in God is Joining me as usual is a team who wonders Why, when carrying stuff by car, it's a shipment But by ship, it's cargo People just can't have it (laughs) Normal She endorses Trump going to war with North Korea Not the army, just him, Nancy Yeah, absolutely, in his underwear (laughs) And he used to think laughing stock was cattle with a sense of humor Scott Wait a minute, don't, just, just stop, I still believe that And she calculated that the hardness of butter is proportional to the softness of bread Christina Because <laughs> science I want to see the numbers on that Guys, welcome back Glad to be here Hope you had a great week And we're going to have a fantastic show today Because we're going to be talking later on to the legendary evolutionary biologist Jerry Coyne Looking forward yes. to that But first, let's do a bit of chit chat uh, guys, you heard that uh, the playboy, Hugh Hefner, died at 91. That is so sad. You know what? I got to give it up to for Hugh Hefner. He died on hump day. He died on Wednesday. <laughs> what a legend, that man. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you read any of his bio? Uh, I, I, in the past, but it's too far to, uh, to, for me to recall off the top of my head, but I did get an impression that he was not the pervert people thought he was. Uh, he actually, his magazine, he was a champion of uh, free speech. Yeah, civil liberties. He absolutely yeah. was. And, uh, you know, in, uh, he, a lot of authors kind of started in his magazines in a way. So he was a, a big proponent of that. And you, <laughs> you got to give it to the man. He's, he's the only man that you really can't say right now that he's in a better place. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, whatever he was doing, he must have done it right because he lived to 91, mm-hmm. you know. So he had a lot of enjoyment in his life, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you... Thank you so much for all, for all the, the times. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because uh, apparently, Hugh, I read that he had a bit of a thing for Marilyn Monroe. Say what? Yeah. Now, Marilyn Monroe didn't, was... Didn't pre- everybody back then? Yes, but Marilyn Monroe was also the first one, right? The first one on, on, the, on the cover of Playboy. And he even bought the burial plot next to her, apparently. Wow. wow the that's... funny thing is, he never met her. He actually never met Marilyn Monroe while she was alive. 
Wow. So, huh. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he used a soft spot for Marilyn. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I kind of like the idea that he's all... Maybe, I don't know if they're going to bury him next to her, but uh, I'm assuming so. Uh, I also like the idea that he is next to her because you, you. I would hate to walk into a cemetery and see Marilyn Monroe and right beside her is Jim Bob. No, you got to put somebody, you know, with some renown, you know, Hugh Hefner, okay, that belongs there, you know, or, or James Dean or, or Elvis or something like that. You know, you don't, you don't put John Smith there. You just can't do that. So. But wouldn't John Smith be a happy angel? <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear they rain fish in Mexico? Really? Yeah, I saw the video on that. Yeah. That was really cool. Uh, it's in the state of uh, Tamaulipas. That was on Tuesday. Uh, of course... Scientists came basically said it was a water spout, which is essentially a tornado that goes over water, mm-hmm. scoops up a few fish, and then. And they were small fish. They were small fish because you know you. Can't, it wasn't it's Sharknado. Not, no, it's not Sharknado. Darn. <laughs> and yeah, of course, and, uh, the Christians, these fish. These fish were quite dead in the video too, yes. and they they slapped to the pavement and they were dead. So. And of course, the Christians started praying right away because it's a miracle. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't learn science. <laughs> Did you guys hear that the oldest evidence of life? was actually found in Canadian rocks. I do know that. They found uh, a 3.95 billion year old Labrador rock containing graphite, which is actually pure carbon, and has a geochemical signature of decomposition of organisms. Now, this is actually 150 million years older than the samples they had before that they found in Greenland and Quebec. Uh, the graphite also suggests that the organisms were probably autotrophic, which means they produced their own food from chemicals. Cool. That's pretty cool. It takes a special uh, kind of rock in a way uh, because a tectonic plate movements, rocks mm-hmm. get have a tendency to be recycled. So it's pretty cool that they found that. That is cool. Um, did you guys also hear the story about this Inukshuk? This is, uh, you know, the Inukshuks, the, uh, the, the uh, Inuit uh, statues, they, the, the kind of rocks that yeah, pile yeah. on top of each other. They, they became popular, especially since the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. Um, they found their, their, their way to many Canadian sites as decorations. Well, three such pieces at the Toronto airport were apparently wrongly assembled because the Inukshuks, they actually have a meaning the way they're in their position. Oh, really? I, I did not know this. Yeah, the, this their pose has different cool. meanings. So the, this guy called Pita. Irnik, I hope I said this right, he's an ex-commissioner of Nunavut, says that they, uh, they, the way they were posed at the Toronto airport means death. Ah! Somebody was killed or suicide. Just what you need at the airport at when the people, airport, are take, exactly. the people are ready to take off. Leave it to the people who know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah so I'm not sure, what the, not sure what the answer from the airport is going to be to that. Um, Just what an airport needs is a bad luck symbol. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Could you imagine being the first person who actually understood what that meant? Like walking to the airport being like, oh, I'm not going to yeah. take this plane. <laughs> get free to oh, I, I hope they reassembled it. They haven't had an answer yet to that. Um, did you guys hear that Saudi Arabia has finally decided to join the 20th century? Yeah. Not the 21st. <laughs> when it comes to women drivers. You know, last week we were talking about the quarter brain thing? Yeah. Well, apparently yeah. the quarter brain is not so bad after all. <laughs> so, so coming in June 2018, women in Saudi Arabia will be allowed to drive. Yay! 
But they'll so, put a giant burka over the entire car. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, they're not allowed out. They're not allowed out of the house unless they're accompanied by a male family member. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what I was thinking. This sounds too good to be true. So I'm, I'm waiting yeah. for the restrictions to, to kick in, you know, like you can only drive between 1 and one fifteen in the afternoon. What if, or, they, what if they decide that the sex of the car is going to have something to do with it? What if you put a giant pair of balls right behind the muffler of the, the car. Maybe that'll be the male accompanying them. Well, I did hear, though, that even though there are a, a lot of women naturally who are very pleased, there are some women that would rather keep it the same way because yeah. they say, I I use that time just to relax and chat. Well, and I don't have to drive. I don't, I don't have you to can find be a parking place. I don't know how you can be relaxed when your eight-year-old cousin's driving the car. <laughs> This, because he's he's the male who's taking you out. You know. There's always deniers like that. It's a bit like when they brought electricity. There was always yeah. somebody saying, I don't know what you're talking about. My candles are great. You know, or when they brought <laughs> oil lamp has lasted me 40 years. Exactly. Yeah. Or when they brought cell phones, they go, what are you talking about? We got a booth on the corner of the street. Why do we need these damn cell phones? There's always <laughs> some idiot complaining about that. So Prince Kaleb bin Salam, he's the uh, Prince heir, I guess, uh, basically said, this is the right time to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, about okay. 100 years too late, buddy. <laughs> well, I, I do have to give him credit because I'll bet you there's quite a few Saudis who want to off his head right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Pushing yeah. for it. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's not going to happen till next year, so they've got a whole year to plot how to sabotage how, it. How, to, how to, to screw it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, the uh, Canadian Revenue Agency is auditing at the Islamic Society of B.C., did you guys hear about that? No. Uh, for fraud of tens of thousands of dollars spent on personal use, uh, these have been—they've been penalized by federal regulators and uh, links uh, to. A, apparently, they have links to a charity. The charity, the the, the Islamic uh, Society of BC, has links to a charity which itself is tied to Hamas. Huh. So this is an ongoing story. Apparently, a uh, hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars has been lost or spent. And uh, the uh, aid foundation is, uh, yeah, the aid foundation is the aid foundation that's tied to Hamas. It also has linked to the Islamic Society of BC. And apparently, they received a ridiculous nine thousand dollar fine for doing this kind of stuff. So, if they if they embezzled one hundred and twenty five thousand, or what was it? One twenty seven. One twenty seven. So they embezzled one hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars. Shouldn't the fine have been one hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars? Well, it gets <laughs> it gets even worse because the nine thousand dollar fine, they uh, they can actually pay the fine by giving that money to another charity. Seriously? Yeah, I know. So they're just going to give it to another Islamic charity, obviously. Um, I'm, I'm glad to announce, but I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that, you know, the end of the world didn't happen last weekend. Darn. Oh, dang. I know. I, I know. know. It's been postponed to October 21st. Dang! <laughs> by the same guy. So this, wow. we still have a couple of shows before the end of the world happens again, guys. So, But, but I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I know what, you were getting drunk. You said, what was right? the miscalculation he figured uh, out? He didn't say. He didn't say. We went through his calculation the first time. He didn't say this calcu- what, what was this calculation this time. So, uh, Yeah, but I don't know. Why would it be the 21st? It's so close to Halloween. I why know. couldn't They should have had it on Halloween. We might, don't you think? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, U.S. meteorologists say that Phoenix in Arizona is going to be unhabitable by 2050 because of climate change. They actually predict the place is going to be three to five degrees hotter. Um, in 2016, 130 people died from heat, and uh, 20% of the Colorado River could be drying up. Wow. So 
Those are the effects of climate change, people. Global warming. I was in I was in Phoenix during the summer one time, and I'm trying to remember. It was either I'm not good at Celsius. It was either a hundred and ten or a hundred and fifteen. And it's a dry heat, but I felt like I was going to turn into a crispy critter. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and it's so draining when it's that hot. Thank and goodness it's a dry heat. It is. It's a, a dry yeah, heat. heat. When you go you. in, you go into the air. It's like Texas, but Texas is a little wetter. But it's you go into the air conditioning and you freeze, and then you come out, and, you know. And the shock from going from one to the other. It's, it's it takes a hearty soul to to live there during during the summer. And the if hell? it it's hotter. <laughs> I mean, talk about hell on earth. That's exactly, as close exactly. as we're going to get. Exactly. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, we got to talk about the whole Colin Kaepernick thing that happened in the States. I'm sure you guys followed all that. Yeah. This is the uh, football player that decided to take a knee several months ago. And uh, this week, uh, a lot, a lot was said about that because several of his teammates and from other teams also are taking a knee during the national anthem. Uh, when you talk to Americans, a lot of them are, are getting very angry at this. And Nancy, your, your favorite uh, uh, comedian, Donald Trump, came out also and uh, sp- uh, basically accused these people of... Uh, disrespecting, di- of the, disrespecting flag. the flag. Now, I'm going to play here a little clip. This is Dallas sportscaster Dale Hansen. And um, there's a two-minute clip here. I want you guys to listen to this guy because he goes on on a rant. Uh, and it's really, really well done. So let's play this. 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick takes a knee during the national anthem in San Francisco last year. We noticed, but very few players joined him. Not many players seem to care. He can't get a job in the NFL now, and very few have said much about that either. But the president says he wants that peaceful protest to stop, says those players should be fired if they take a knee during the anthem, and calls those players a name I never thought I'd live long enough to hear a president say, and now everybody cares. Donald Trump has said he supports a peaceful protest because it's an American's right, but not this protest, and there's the problem. Any protest you don't agree with is a protest that should be stopped. Martin Luther King should have marched across a different bridge. Young black Americans should have gone to a different college and found a different lunch counter. And college kids in the 60s had no right to protest an immoral war. I served in the military during the Vietnam War and my foot hurt too but I've served anyway. My best friend in high school was killed in Vietnam, and Carol Meyer will be 18 years old forever, and he did not die so that you could decide who is a patriot and who loves America more. The young black athletes are not disrespecting America or the military by taking a knee during the anthem. They are respecting the best thing about America. It's a dog whistle to the racist among us to say otherwise. They and all of us should protest how black Americans are treated in this country, and if you don't think white privilege is a fact you don't understand America. The comedian Chris Rock says it best. There's not a white man in America who would trade places with him, and he's rich. It has not gone unnoticed that Trump has spoken out against the Mexicans who want to come to America for a better life, against the Muslims, and now against the black athlete. But he says nothing for days about the white man who marched under a Nazi flag in Charlottesville, except to remind us there were good people there. And when he finally tried to say the right thing, not one of them was called an SOB or should be fired. We have white men in America who waved the Nazi flag and the Confederate flag, and he's concerned about taking a knee because it disrespects this flag. We use that flag to sell mattresses and beer. We wear it as a swimsuit. We wrap our bald heads in a flag bandana and stick it in our pants because we disrespect that flag every day. 
Maybe we all need to read the Constitution again. There has never been a better use of pen to paper. Our forefathers made freedom of speech the First Amendment. They listed ten, and not one of them says, you have to stand during the anthem. And I think those men respected the country they fought for and founded a great deal more than the self-proclaimed patriots who are simply hypocrites because they want to deny the basic freedom of this great country, a country they supposedly value and cherish so much. And there we go. Well, wow. Wow. one thing about Dale Hansen, I lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for years, and Dale is, he and I probably are the, the two eternal people you in the world. You probably wanted to date with him, didn't you? Yeah, he's, he's been forever, too. He is so well-loved and so respected mm. in the Dallas area area well, making and speeches like think, that i can see why you you'd think that being in the in the middle of texas that he'd be you know a conservative Republican. he's not he's no. a liberal and he, he's a sports announcer but he evolved into making commentary yeah. uh you know on on, on life and and uh, you know things that he felt feels passionately about he is so right on and coming from him that's it, it it just it means an, an an awful lot. It really does. Yeah, we we have a tendency to look at the Americans as maybe overly patriotic, uh, but when you look at uh, as a good skeptic should into a d- deeper into the details, you realize, for example, that uh, the whole standing the football players standing at the national anthem only started in two thousand nine. Yep. And that was actually an effort by the military when they actually tried to give some money to the NFL to try to boost their, uh, their their numbers, and it worked. It actually worked. But now, in the mind of a lot of these people, this is. It's always been like that. It's been a tradition like that forever, which is not the case. And the fact that you're taking a knee during the national anthem doesn't show disrespect, right? Well, you know, Trump Trump would like to divide. I mean, he could divide people that like vanilla against chocolate mm-hmm. and make it a, 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 another civil war. That's what he does. He disrupts life and may, and wants to make it make it worse. It's not about the flag. No. It's a protest for justice and equality, and it's a respectful protest. Now it he's has, making it about the flag. That's yeah, the thing. It, that's what it, he's doing. Right? There's there's no law that says you have to stand. It is very respectful. It's silent mm-hmm. and it's powerful because it is silent. It's not bombastic. Yeah. And Trump has taken that, you know, um, uh, plea in search for justice and equality for everybody and turned it into a patriotic mess. Yes. It just, it, it, it's deplorable. Well, I have here, here another little clip, and this is actually from our own Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. He was asked by the CBC, is it disrespectful to kneel during the national anthem? So this is the answer Trump should have really said. That's what he should have answered. Do you think that it's disrespectful for athletes to kneel out of protest during a national anthem? Under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada, um, Canadians, whether they're professional athletes or not, are allowed to express themselves. Uh, that is a right we will always defend as Canadians. We believe in free expression. There you go. That's it. But th- this is, I mean, this is an artificial... Um, but my, it, 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 Trump made this up. He's he's doing this. It's sort of look over there. Don't look at what I'm it's like doing. A, it's like a bait and switch, right? Right. And unfortunately, the news media and most of the public fall for it, amplify it, and carry it on when the, the correct response should be, "F you, Trump," and go on with their life. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, pardon my French, but. 
That's, yeah. you know. So you marked this, and Nancy said, F you on the show. Let's yeah. <laughs> mark this moment. <laughs> uh, Times, they are a changing. Yeah. Nancy, my dear, you're ready with a quack watch? I am. Quack watch. And you're this is, this is a, this is such a cute, this, I I almost wanted to say this is an adorable, <laughs> but I, but I, I digress. This is really a, a great little quack watch, and it, it comes from um, my very own laundry room in my very own little condo building. I was in the laundry room uh, with with my getting ready to do my laundry, and my neighbor was in there <clears throat> doing hers. And I saw her take these little ball-type things out of a small box, and instead of putting laundry detergent in the washing machine, she was putting these two little balls in there. And I said, hmm... What are those? Because I thought, well, maybe it was like Tide, you know, the, 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 they come in these wonderful little colors and you throw them in there. Yeah, it wasn't a detergent pot. Yeah, long, no, it wasn't one of those. And she said, oh, she said, um, my son and I have been waiting for these to come for a long time. They're magnets. And I'm thinking, magnets? magnets? And she said, oh, uh, you know, and I said, you know, just pretty much in that tone of voice, magnets. And she said, oh, yes, she said, it's so much better than detergent. She said, and uh, it's going to be just wonderful for for our laundry. And then she began to tell me why. And I'm going, oh... This is going to be wonderful for Quack Watch. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to share this with you because there actually is a magnetic laundry system. And it's like bottling air and calling it a breath aid, but this is this is the real thing. It's called, there are several products, but this is called the Life Miracle Magnetic Laundry System. Red flag, as soon as they say miracle, that's a red flag. Yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> and it, it's a, it works under a unique means of water maintenance through the direct application of magnetic force. You guys got that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so they have to explain explain in their in their their website it, this is so funny water has long been known as the universal solvent duh and what they say is that the laundry system incorporates powerful specially calibrated magnetism to help alter the basic nature of water and increase its national its natural solvency what they <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly what they claim is that what what water does water actually dispels um, itself from what it it the, the the magnets push the water away and because the magnetic force does that the theory, what they claim is that dirt just automatically because of the magnets is removed from the from your clothing and you don't have to use harsh chemicals which may cause cancer and other um illnesses because they're made from petrochemicals and we all know how terrible they are so they claim a one-time investment oh, a lifetime guarantee 
that, you know, your clothes are going to be cleaner and brighter and you're not exposing yourself to all the petrochemicals that are bad for your health, bad for the environment. So for only sixty nine ninety five Canadian, <laughs> you have, and I think they're guaranteed for 50 years, but <laughs> they're magnets. Wow. They're magnets. And they do say on their website that, you can use detergents if you want to, you know, but that's up to you. You're not you're not diminishing the effects of the magnets. You may be increasing the risk to your health, but no damage will be done to the magnets. You could use a little bleach, but they like vinegar better. And they have this whole uh, website, and there are uh, several other companies, and it's patented. Wow. Magnets. Now, you may ask, how can they patent this? Well, patents don't always have to be for something brand new. It can be for something that's already in use, but this is a unique way of using that product. So when they say it's patented, a lot of people think, wow, you know, this is really wonderful because it wouldn't be patented if it didn't work, right? Yeah. So did anyone mention to these people that their washing machine contains the the actual washing part the, the drum the drum is, is made like out metal. of steel <laughs> and steel and magnets tend to get along really well and that would negate any but I think the water because I didn't notice that you know she filled the washing machine that <laughs> these magnets you know were stuck to the end. But, but she was, they were thrilled. She had to wait a long time to finally get them, and she was really This glad. is another one of those people that's going to be walking down the street, and after she passes people, they're going to be going, what was that smell? <laughs> yeah, this is wonderful. So knowing all of this, you know, I'm, I'm reading this, and it, it just, I mean, it doesn't do any, it really is not doing any harm. The, the worst that's going to happen is that your whites are not going to be as bright as you want, and the stain is still going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to do any harm. But believe it or not, McGill University, which is a very respected university, yes. has a blog called the Office for Science and Society. And they actually, addre- they, uh, actually really? addressed this as, you know, um, better than I could in terms of um, a, a quack watch. So their Office for Science and Society... Um, their their little blurb underneath says separating sense from nonsense. So they say that magnets are fascinating, and the, the, you know the, that uh, it was first uh, discovered by the ancient Greeks, and they go all you know through that and and how um, Mesmer used uh, magnets. So they they cover a little bit of the history in terms of how magnets have been fascinating and how beliefs about magnets are can be readily um, uh, taken in because magnets have been a force you know in the uni- in the in the universe for for so long and they they, they have you know myths that have had have, uh, grown up uh, uh, because of them so the claim that magnets ionize water and increase cleaning ability regardless of the myths that's nonsense um, advertising, uh, for the for the um, for the products, as I say, it, it they say attacks commercial detergents and accuses them of containing cancer-causing chemicals and so forth and so on. But um, the uh, uh, the laundry discs, um, in, in terms of their cleaning, they 
totally debunk, you know, even even though people might think that they're not going to cause cancer, they're not going to do any better, and they're expensive, but the one time. So... Um, the, uh, the, the Joe Schwartz, the PhD who wrote the article, says, is there any rationale that the magnets can actually do something? Um, he says, water is diamagnetic, which means that it will be repelled by the magnet, but the effect is very, very small. If a vial of water is placed on a piece of floating styrofoam and a strong magnet is brought close, it will slowly move away from the magnet. An interesting phenomenon, but nothing to do with cleaning ability. But there is something about the advertising for the laundry discs that is not contestable. They are guaranteed to last for 50 years, a guarantee that is indeed safe since magnets do not rot. That's more than what can be said about the claims of their miraculous cleaning properties. See, that's the thing, right? They take that nugget of truth that the water does have a bit of a magnetic charge to it. It's a tiny little thing, and they just amplify that. So there is a kernel of truth in their claim, and that's what how they, they sell the product. Yeah, but isn't that cute? I mean, it's almost like something from the, the 18th, 19th century yeah, exactly. that you would think that when they first developed the um, the washing machine, which was a Canadian uh, invention, you think that the, if someone said, "You don't now," here's the cleaning tool that people would have bought the magnets, mm-hmm. magnets yeah. instead of developing detergents. There we go. I mean, from the you know in the early days. I'll just do the experiment myself. I'll just throw a couple of fridges off my uh, magnets off my fridge and just put that in my laundry and see what happens. Uh oh, <laughs> there goes the company. <laughs> anyway, isn't that cute? Isn't it that is. an adorable it scam? Is. I love it. Oh, thank you so much, Nancy, for that. And before we go talk to Mr. Coin, let's go to our favorite segment that we all know and love. What is it called? This is what you answer. Oh, jeez. Sleep. Another brilliant moment. Brought to you by religion. I just like the music. I've got three stories, and the first one is going to make you guys angry. Um, An Alabama pastor of a conservative congregation is being accused of raping a nine-year-old girl on her father's grave. Wow. Mac Charles Andrews, a pastor of the heavily conservative United Pentecostal Church, is accused of raping, quote-unquote, Jane, a pseudonym to conceal the identity of the victim, obviously, along with multiple other minors. Andrews apparently started grooming her for sexual abuse when she was only seven. Uh, She describes how he terrorized her. Quote, He told me if I didn't say anything, he would come back and put flowers on the grave. But if I did, demons would come and get me from my bed. What a piece of shit, that guy. Yeah, what a piece of shit, right? So, Jane accused Andrews of raping her with multiple objects, including drumsticks, a letter opener, pans, flashlight, and a figurine. In a warrant obtained, she says she and Andrews were preparing her for sexual abuse. She says the uh, church Andrews led was like a cult where girls weren't allowed to wear makeup or had to wear floor-length skirts. Andrews is being held on a $500,000 bond that has a reign on Tuesday. He was arrested in 2013 on counts of sexual torture, rape, sexual abuse, attempted rape, and sodomy. And the county prosecutor said he was he is aware of nine victims who were alleged, allegedly violated by Andrews in the 80s and 90s. And he's not in jail? Uh... How? Well, like, from his previous incident, incidents, how is he not, like... Well, it, it took him a while to it took a while for these kids to come forward. I guess, right? Uh, the abuse allegedly went on for years. Jane told authorities that hers lasted five years until she left the church. 
She says it resulted in a painful life in which she made a lot of wrong decisions and even herself spent some time in jail. Uh, what a piece of shit that guy. Sorry. I, I have no pity for a guy like that. Um, here's another story. Now, we all know that uh, what Christians truly worship is money. So, a North Carolina church encouraged her members to commit unemployment fraud. What? Filling fake unemployment claims for fake employees so they can get a government check every week so they could fully tithe. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. That's just the latest accusation against the Word of Faith Fellowship in Spindale, North Carolina. The same church has been accused of shaking babies to banish the demons, screaming into the ears of members to banish the demons, kidnapping and beating a gay man to eradicate his homosexual demons, and siphoning slave labor from the its branches in Brazil. We talked about the slave laborers yeah. a couple a little while yeah. back. Same church. Wonderful yeah, people. This, this this church is just a Lulu. Yeah. So the witnesses Cult. said that the founder, James Whaley, proposed a divine plan that would allow it to continue tithing at least 10% of income to the secretive evangelical church while helping the money, while helping this company survive. He would file fraudulent unemployment claims on behalf of his employee. She called it, he said, God plan. That's God's plan. <laughs> well, that's it, man. That's what, you know, <laughs> that's what Christians actually worship. They worship the money. You know, they put the facade of God, but they worship the money. Uh, and uh, a third story. That's That one's a bit more light and more fun. You guys remember rapper and adherent to antiquated cosmo- uh, cosmography B.O.B.? Yes. Well, he won't stop until he proves once and for all that the Earth is flat. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, the rapper launched a GoFundMe page in an effort to raise $200,000 to help B.O.B. find the curve, which is ironic because he's got more than enough money to do it himself. Yeah. If he really cared, right? Um, the site says the donations will go towards the purchase and launch of multiple satellites. Two hundred thousand dollars. Is he is he serious? I mean, because he, he's extremely he's, serious. Oh, okay. He's extremely serious. This guy. Uh, he does realize it takes about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to launch like one pound into space. Well, yeah, it's it's ten thousand dollars a pound actually. Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was I was probably thinking of NASA costs. Yeah, the the, the site says yeah, yeah towards the purchase of a launch multiple satellite. All of them designed to help the writer of Nothing On You. That's one of the songs. Determine once and for all if we live on a disc or a globe. For those who just want to rubberneck this whole business, Bob will be keeping you updated with step by step documentation of the process via the website. So B.O.B. has been one of the few braves, I mean, sorry, idiots, lonely voices standing up for the notion of modern science is a dirty lie for quite some time. In January of 2016, he went on a long Twitter rant posing questions and promoting his belief to the point where B.O.B.'s tweets were so bizarre that prominent astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson jumped in to offer the rapper some sound advice on where his theories went wrong. But B.O.B. wasn't convinced, and then he released a diss track shortly after uh, uh, To the Grass Tyson titled Flatline. Uh, so. <laughs> he's I'll, a smart man. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, at last, some of B.O.B.'s other fringe theories are somewhat less adorable than the belief that we live on a flat plane. He delved into the Holocaust denial, anti Semitism, and Infowar style false flag trutherism in the past. So far, he's rated about, rated about 200 bucks. <laughs> now I uh, all these flat earthers out there this is your chance this is your chance put your money where your mouth is give money them, to the none cause of them, none of them have ever even been able to explain why a gyroscope works 
Yes. Well, you you okay, get it like, too like, complicated here. They're not going to understand that. I mean, this week, I don't know whether the, the flat earthers are undergoing a resurgence or just more of them are coming out of the I think the, the internet, the, inter, the interwebs have en- enabled them. I think it's a combination of that. It's a combination also of uh, the anti-intellectualism movement in the States. And the fact there's more, many more of us now than there was even 20 years ago. Yeah, who was it? Wasn't it last year that there were a couple of guys that, um, I think they were athletes, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. I'm not saying anything against that, but it, in my mind, weren't there at least two yes, that yes. were saying, we, we and now this like is the that. third? This is the third Well, we, we, t- we talked about B.O.B. in the past as oh, well, okay. uh, especially when you had that rant versus uh, the DeGrasse Tyson there. But yeah. like you said, right now he's... You know, I, I got to give him props. He's putting his money where his mouth is. No, yeah. he's not putting his money. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's putting, putting other people's money. money. That's right. Because the funny thing is, he's got $200,000. He's got that easily. He could easily have that money himself to to do it himself. And, you know, anyway, it's going to be funny to see these guys just waste that money. Well, maybe he'll walk to the edge and fall off. <laughs> <laughs> onto the back of the elephants, tumble off, and fall onto the giant turtle. What's beneath the giant turtle? Oh, the giant turtle just floats into space. It swims around. But wouldn't that mean the Earth could be round? No. It's flat on the back of elephants sitting on top of a turtle. Don't you know Jeez, anything yeah. about science, Scott? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I know. In Antarctica, Antarctica is a 500-mile tall wall that goes around the entire planet, and we can't get past it. That's right. This is science, man. It's proven, right? According to B.O.B. anyway. There there is a Canadian Flat Earth Society, and just go to their website and educate yourself, would you please? (laughs) Oh, I can't. It hurts. It hurts too bad. It actually does. It hurts so bad to try and wrap your head around... I've gotten in arguments with flat earthers. And well, see, if your head was flat, you could wrap it. They around. all, they all have cut me off of their sites. They've cut me out, like, like blocked me, so that I, so then I have to log in as somebody else, so I control them for a while. And oh it's Scott, it's, professional it's, troll. It's well, you did. The trick is to have more than one account. And <laughs> so you troll them, right? And, uh, and it's fun to troll. I mean, it really is. Like, how much is Scott? None of those left the valley subsidiaries. <laughs> no, no, you know, I, I would never troll a fellow atheist, but man, somebody who's a flat earther, come on. <laughs> they're asking for it. Right? Really? They're asking for it. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. So let's go to commercial right now, and we come back with Jerry Coyne. So stay with us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Ray Comfort, his big stumper was literally which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Here's an excerpt from Powerless No Longer by Peter W. Soderman. One night in late August 1990, I was sitting in my living room continuing a normal evening of drinking after the mosquitoes drove me inside. I was making up stories in my head about adventures that would never happen when my 15-year-old daughter appeared out of nowhere. She stood 10 feet in front of me, fiddling with a piece of paper in her hand. Dad, she said with a tremor in her voice. What did you think of the poem I read for you on the deck? You said you wanted to think about it for a while. 
What poem? I couldn't remember even seeing her earlier, let alone any poem. Thrusting the paper towards me, she said, This poem, Dad. I've been working on it for days. I looked towards the floor and muttered something, hoping it was appropriate. I can't remember what I said. When our eyes met, I watched her expression change from hurt to anger, then from anger to disgust. I saw myself reflected in her eyes as we both realized at the same instant that I was a complete fraud. She crumpled the paper into a ball and tossed it onto the rug. Her hair swirled as she spun on her heel and ran from the room. I forgot the poem, but I still remember her sobs. I looked around the room as if seeing it for the first time and realized this was coming to an end and damn soon. We were living off sales from two years ago and the pipeline was empty. I was a liar, a cheat, and a phony and one of the few around me who didn't realize it. If the world would stop, I thought, I could get myself together and begin to make things right. I tried hard not to drink anymore that evening, but the glass magically continued to fill itself. When the pendulum clock on the wall bonged 1 a.m., I stumbled up the stairs, undressed, and fell into bed. As the room began to spin, I felt absolute panic. I knew I couldn't face life without alcohol to kill the pain. Yet, I knew I would die if I continued to drink. Powerless No Longer, Reprogramming Your Addictive Behavior by Peter W. Soderman is now available at AtheistAudiobooks.com. Whoever is led to believe that species are mutable will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So what you know about natural selection? Go ahead and ask a question and see where the answer gets you. Try being passive-aggressive and try smashing heads in. So joining us online is Dr. Jerry Coyne. He was a, a professor at the University of Chicago, and he's a, one of the most powerful voices for evolutionary biology. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Dr. Coyne, thank you so much for joining us today at Left of the Valley. Uh, thanks, sir. <laughs> no, no problem, no problem. Doctor, uh, you know, um, we have a lot of uh, listeners that are atheists, obviously. We also have a lot of listeners that are not atheists. They might not exactly know you. You know you're very popular in the States. You might not be as well-known here in Canada. Would you be so kind to give us maybe a Reader's Digest version of who Jerry Coyne is? Uh, yeah, most of my life I was just a professor teaching evolutionary biology and genetics to graduate students and undergraduates, first at the University of Maryland and then for the last 30 years, and I'm retired now for about a year and a half for two years at the University of Chicago. Um, so I'm known in my field for my work on evolutionary genetics and the origin of species. To the public, I didn't come till later. I've always written sort of popular articles and book reviews for the New York Times and the New Republic, but my first trade book didn't come out till um, 2009, Why Evolution is True. That was just a book on the evidence for evolution intended for the general public. And it did quite well. It didn't say anything about, I'm sorry, about religion, except for one sort of watery, you know, compatible sentence that for enlightened religionists, there really isn't any need to be worried about evolution. (laughs) But I got, you know, I got some pushback just because of this book from creationists. And 
also other religious people that said it was too hard on religion, even though there was only one sentence in the book. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough to anger a, a believer. You know? It does take um, a while. But, so, so I started wondering, well, you know, why is evolution so anathema to believers? It's not just fundamentalists who are opposed to evolution in America. Uh, 42 or 43% of Americans are young earth creationists when it comes to humans. And that's not, those aren't all fundamentalist, Bible-bashing, snake-handling people. So I was just wondering, you know, what is it about evolution that makes it so um, despised, uniquely amongst the sciences, to um, the average American? A candidate, I think, is somewhat more enlightened about this, although I don't know the statistics. But so I started reading theology, and that was my downfall. <laughs> oh, no! Greek theology is like, you know, um, the old Uncle Remus thing about getting stuck in the tar baby because you can't, you can't get out of it. I mean, I was both horrified and fascinated. Um, hor fascinated because, like, apparently intelligent human beings could believe in such insane stuff. <laughs> and um, horrified because they believed in such insane stuff, which, you know, was palpably untrue. In many cases. And so eventually I read more and more and more theology from the most simplistic theology of the creationists through the sort of metal brass stuff like C.S. Lewis, mere Christianity, all the way up to highfalutin, what I call sophisticated theology, people like Alvin Plantinga, John Hart, and others. And at the end of that endeavor, I, just, I wrote a book about it called Faith Versus Fact, which was explicitly anti-religious in the sense that I said that science and religion are incompatible and that religion wasn't a way of knowing anything about the world. So, you know, both of those books have captured some of the public attention. So I guess if I'm known to the public, it's that and maybe some of my popular writings. <laughs> you certainly don't have your tongue in your pocket, as they say. <laughs> uh, so, so, Doctor, what, what prompted you to study evolutionary biology as a, as a person? What, was, it, was it just, it wasn't just after reading theology, I'm assuming? No, no, I mean, this started way back in 1967 when I went to college. And as so often happens in molding people's careers, it was a charismatic professor. So the very first day of college, William & Mary is where I went in 1967, Eight o'clock in the morning, I walk into my bio one class, which is zoology. Back in those days, biology was zoology and botany. Those are the first two courses you take. You won't find that anymore. Um, but the teacher was an evolutionary biologist, a herpetologist. He was very charismatic. And he had an evolutionary slant to all his lectures. And I just found that very exciting. And after the course, I asked him, well, you know, could you help me take you know, a course in evolutionary biology and genetics, which were prohibited to, you know, first-year students. And eventually I was allowed to take those. And I had a charismatic professor when I took genetics who was just a young guy named Bruce Grant and just out of graduate school. And he worked work with fruit flies. And I realized, you know, first of all, you can do evolutionary studies with fruit flies because their breeding time is so sl mm -hmm. short, less than two weeks from adult to adult, and you can do all kinds of crosses between species, which you can't do between, you know, in primates or many other groups, and the sort of combination of the fascination of evolution and the cleanness of genetic research, in which you could do a cross and get, you know, an unambiguous result, 
is what turned me into an evolutionary geneticist. Like many biologists, I wanted to be a marine biologist. When I started out, you know, we all think of ourselves standing on the decks of ships and watching whales and stuff, <laughs> which is very, you know, romantic. But mm. that didn't turn me on near as much as evolution did. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, I, I got to admit, uh, Mr. Coyne, I've been wanting you to, on our show ever since. You and I have met very briefly. Uh, yeah, there's no way you'd remember this, but we met very briefly at Imaginal Religion in Richmond, where I gave you a bottle of Crown Royal as a good Canadian ambassador. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> oh, good. He remembers the Crown Royal. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little alcohol goes a long way. <laughs> that or maple syrup. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, Dr. Coyne, what, what do you think it is that about evolution that Christians are so afraid of, to the point of, you know, in light of the incredible amount of evidence, that they still fight to this day to, to deny it? Well, because evolution is the one scientific discipline, I suppose cosmology could be another one, that really strikes at the heart of human uniqueness and solipsism in many different ways. I mean, it tells us that we're not the special creation of a creator. There goes, you know, made in the image of God right off the bat. You know, that we don't, that there's no qualitative difference between humans and other animals. I mean, we do have language in a semantic way, um, which is one difference, but, you know, in effect, we're just, you know, cerebralized primates, which is Darwin's point in his um, 1871 book so there's that there's the materialism of evolution that everything got here by a simple blind materialistic process and that people don't like that either because it's explicitly anti-religious yeah. uh, Steve Stewart Williams has a whole book actually I can't remember the title of it but it's published by Oxford on why Darwinism uh, upsets people so and you know he has chapter after chapter of a lot of different reasons but the main one is you know human uniqueness the materialism the fact that it is in direct opposition and to be sure refutes the creation myth of both the quran and the bible um if you're religious it's hard to give up that stuff it's hard to give up the idea that you're a unique creature which is god's special pet yeah and that's what i mean Darwin didn't say that. I mean, he's, he didn't say anything about human evolution and origin of species. He didn't deal with that until, you know, the descent of man um, 12 years later. But that was the implication. And it became a little bit more explicit when Darwin published his human book. But humans, I mean, we're not stupid. We could draw the implication from the theory of evolution. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, we're just the result of a sort of blind materialistic competition between genes for representation in the next generation. Um, and that's so, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I just have a quick question. So with um, communicating evolution with religious individuals, what is like a good starting point to kind of ease people who have such an aversion to it to kind of help them break down those barriers is there yeah, like a place a you found like best to start yeah well that's a you know it's a question of pedagogy and i'm not really an expert in education um you know when you're a college professor you never take a course on how to teach <laughs> <laughs> you just sort of wing it and find out what works and what doesn't um my view is well let's just say two things first of all do not start by telling a religious person that 
their faith is compatible with evolution because you <laughs> yeah. don't know if that's true. And I don't believe that because I think the very religious mindset um, in terms of the supernatural, the existence of a deity is at odds with the scientific attitude. So I won't, you know, start by trying to get them on my side by saying, you know, you can be religious and Christian too. Um, the BioLogos organization founded by Francis Collins, who's a famous scientist here, that was their explicit aim. They they thought that they would be able to turn um, evangelical Christians and the people who accepted evolution by telling them that evolution and evangelical Christianity were compatible. And it's been a miserable failure. I mean, what's happened is that the organization has become more and more into apologetics and less and less into evolution. So they're trying to explain how Adam and Eve could, you know, have really been sort of a literal, <laughs> literal instance of humanity. But, I mean, they've gotten all balled up and apologetics. The way I do it is the way I did it in my first book, Why Evolution is True, which mm -hmm. is simply to tell people the facts, you know. And if they question them, then give them more evidence. Yeah. And if they won't accept the facts, well, what are you going to do? Um, if you can't accept a fact that's inimical to your religious belief, we, we know well that religious belief is largely impervious to fact. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll just say one statistic. There was a poll taken by uh, Time Magazine and um, the Roper Organization. Now, this was about 10 years ago, I believe. And they asked Americans this question. If science were to produce a fact that was in direct contradiction with the tenets of your religion, what would you do? And you could choose, well, I'd accept the fact and give up that tenet of my belief. I'd um, reject the fact and ex take the tenet of my belief or don't know. And 64% of Americans, almost two-thirds, said they would reject the fact in favor wow. of their faith. Oh, goodness That's gracious. scary. That is a scary stat. Although only 23% said they would accept, you know, they would give up their religious belief in favor of... Um, the fact, and you know, the rest of them didn't know or were confused. And in Britain, it's pretty much the same. If you pull British Christians, just Christians now, and I, all, the first data were all Americans. So if you pull British Christians on the same question, forty-six percent of them, nearly half, will will um, reject scientific fact in favor of their faith. You know, that's now better than Americans mm -hmm. do because they're religious to begin with, and not all Americans are. And it's a lower statistic. But still, it shows you how impervious faith is to the intrusion of reality. Yeah. No, I, I could totally see why uh, Professor Collins would like to try to uh, meld uh, faith and science. After all, uh, he probably goes on the, the famous line by Stephen Jay Gould saying that there could be a, a meshing between the two. And uh, we have a precedent with Catholics. I mean, Catholics do accept evolution. So maybe that's why he was trying to get evangelicals to do the same. Yeah, well, you know, I deal with Gould's non-overlapping magisterial hypothesis, you know, that the purview of science is to understand the natural world and make theories about it, whereas the purview of religion is meaning, morals, and values, and those two are separate, so science and religion can live harmonically together, mm -hmm. harmoniously, sorry. Of course, that's wrong. I'll, I'll explain it if you want, but... You can also read my book. The second thing you say, that Catholicism is down with evolution. That is, it's constant with it. Well, to some extent they are, but not completely. And, you know, first of all, 27% of American Catholics are young Earth creationists. In direct, you know, <laughs> contradiction to their church's mm -hmm. own stand. But also, Catholics have a anti-science attitude in two ways. First of all, they believe in the soul. 
And it's a soul that's uniquely instilled into humans at some point after the sperm penetrates the egg. And no other species of animal has that thing. Well, you know, there's no evidence for that. (laughs) They're believing something very that's very, very important for which there's no evidence. That's not scientifically sound. Um, In terms of them being deadly wrong, well, the Catholic dogma is, and this was promulgated by Pope Pius XII in 1950, and still part of the Catholic dogma and catechism, that Adam and Eve are the literal ancestors of all humans. Not just metaphorical ancestors, mm-hmm. but that all of us can trace our DNA. Of course, they didn't know about DNA back yeah. then, but can trace our DNA back to two people. And population genetics has shown that that's just wrong. There could not have been a bottleneck of two people in the human lineage. It had to be at least 12,500 people mm-hmm. at the minimum. So, you know, the Catholic Church has these two attitudes which are not... One of them is in manifest contradiction to the science, and the other one is just superstition with no scientific buttressing. So when you say the Catholics accept evolution, my view is, well, they're theistic evolutionists, which is a sort of bastard hybrid between science and religion. It's, it's evolution with an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right before human beings that's the issue (laughs) says they're human exceptionalists (laughs) i like that human exceptionalists uh doctor do you you feel as i asked a question of a a previous guest and i'll ask you the same question do you feel that sometimes the way we represent evolution for example the classic image of the the chimpanzee rising into australopithecus rising into homo erectus rising into uh homo sapiens and 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 terms like mitochondrial eve you know do you think these do you think these terms that these images are creating more confusion in the mind of the average layperson. Oh, yeah, I think they probably do. And a lot of people have tried to debunk them. I mean, Steve Gould, I think, had an essay on the progressivism where, you know, first of all, we don't even know that Australopithecus, much less Homo erectus, is our direct ancestor. You can put them in an order in which it looks like things are getting higher and higher and higher. And there is certainly in one lineage that did that. But, you know, there are other lineages of homo or hominins that that didn't do that and have gone extinct. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives the view that evolution is, is teleological, that is something is driving it, that beyond, you know, mere reproduction of gene forms, and that it's progressive, that it always makes things better and better yeah. and better, which, it, you know, it doesn't. It makes them more adapted to their environment. But that could make them more susceptible to going extinct, which is what happened to many species. You know, the wingless birds of New Zealand, for example, they were perfectly adapted to an environment which lacked predators, because you don't need wings if you yeah. don't have anything that's going to eat you. But you know, as soon as the environment changed and predators invaded that land, I mean, species started going extinct one after the other. So. You know, it's only temporarily progressive in that sense. So a lot of us have spent a lot of time trying to debunk these misconceptions about evolution. If it's taught properly, um, it's not hard to grasp. You know, it's just that people um, don't get taught properly, I think. Do do you feel, Doctor, that sometimes the people have a hard time grasping evolution because of the timeline or the amount of time that's required to see the the process happen yeah i mean humans have evolved to live on a time scale that's commensurate with our own you know longevity like up to 80 years to think in terms of you know 500 
million years or you know life has been around probably 3.8 billion years once a cellular life for you know 500 million years that's inconceivable to people and mm -hmm. that's what rise to the creationist trope well there just hasn't been enough time you know for evolution to occur yeah. because we cannot conceive of how long you know 3.6 billion years really is that's 3.6 thousand million years mm -hmm. you take a million years which is already a long time enough for a lot of evolution to occur mm -hmm. and then you multiply it by three you know 3.6 thousand and that's how much time life has had to evolve and you can show at least in certain instances that you can evolve a lot of different things in that time yeah you know but again you can teach that not so hard to people i mean you know i wouldn't i wouldn't even try to do that to an introductory class i start off my college evolution class with just the evidence for evolution not just from the fossil record, but from biogeography, the distribution of plants and animals on the earth, embryology, um, now genetics, um, the presence of vestigial organs. Darwin, except for the genetics part, had a lot of this evidence. Mm -hmm. And once you, you see this evidence, there's no alternative except to accept evolution. If you do that, then you don't have to argue about, well, there hasn't been enough time for evolution. There must have been because it happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dr. Coyne, I hear that enthusiasm in your voice. Do you, yes. do you miss teaching? Um, in some sense, I do, yes. Uh, there's nothing like getting undergraduates inspired, seeing a spark in their eyes when they finally understand something. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our students were pre-meds, um, and they see evolution as an impediment in their becoming a doctor. They don't see the need for evolutionary biology to, for a medical education. Um, I know That's I could argue awesome. otherwise, but to be true, you can be a good doctor without knowing evolution. But it's just that, you know, you're not a fully complete educated human being without knowing evolution. And that was my job. Um, so, it, you know, not teaching undergrads has its good side and its bad side. The disappointment when you fail to inspire students and the excitement when you do. Now, teaching graduate students is something I really do miss because they are already professional scientists and they are already inspired by evolution. And the ones at the University of Chicago, which is one of the best schools in the country for evolution, are almost colleagues when they get here. I published several papers with graduate students from my courses, and it was always a pleasure to teach them and discuss things with them. And I learned a lot from doing that. So, yeah, I miss it. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to teach. This is one of those schools where when you're retired, you're not allowed to teach anymore. So well, Maybe we can persuade you to come up north to Canada, doctor, just across the border, <laughs> and come teach to us. Well, we'll be more than happy to have well, you. Lectures. I mean, that's my compromise. When you're older and retired, you're supposed to kick back a little bit. I'm not sure I'd want to, you know, have a regular <laughs> class. Although, you know, I, if I had my druthers, I'd probably teach a graduate course every couple of years or so. I do miss that. Uh, Dr. Coyne, uh, a couple of years ago, we had the chance to interview, uh, I guess, a friend and colleague of yours, uh, Dr. Krauss. And uh, he stated that he thinks that we're teaching biology too, uh, too early to kids that we should be teaching physics because physics informs chemistry and chemistry informs biology. Uh, would you concur with that? Or do you or do you think there's a certain age that evolutionary biology should be taught? How early or how late do you figure it would be in your, uh, in your opinion? Well, I have to say that 
that's a somewhat. I know Lawrence quite well. I like him, but I think that's somewhat self-aggrandizing statement. I mean, try teaching relativity or even Newtonian mechanics to you know eight-year-old kids. It's just <laughs> not going to fly. Um, but you can teach evolution to kids that young. I mean, there are children's books on evolution for kids as young as six or so. And when I teach evolution, they don't need to know physics. They barely need to know chemistry. Um, you know, they need to know what DNA is. Nowadays, organic chemistry is less and less becoming a requirement for um, a major in biology. It was when I took it. But, you know, um, I would say that he's got it backwards. You know, evolution is easily comprehended by younger children a lot more easily than physics is, even the you know, most elementary Newtonian mechanics. And if you get into stuff like quantum mechanics and relativity, well, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> Adults have problems with that. To be fair, human, people are just a lot more interested in evolution, whether they're interested in it because they hate it or because they <laughs> like it. I mean, it is the story of our ancestry. All of us are fascinated by our own genealogy, or at least a lot of us are. That's why people are always having their DNA analyzed on 23andMe and stuff. But evolution is the big picture of our ancestry because it connects us with every creature that's ever lived or is living now. And in that sense, it's, you know, and it also tells us how it worked. So, mm -hmm. you know, that there's something just fascinating about that, that a ball rolling down a plane, I don't think, would... And, uh, and still the same spark of mm -hmm. enthusiasm. You know, people should know physics, but it's a lot harder to learn physics. I mean, I've been trying to teach myself quantum mechanics on a non-mathematical level just to understand it. And, you know, I'm in my late 60s, and it's still a real struggle to make sense of this mm -hmm. stuff. Well, I, I think it's the math part we all have our time with when it comes to physics. <laughs> the conception. I mean, to try to conceive of, um, non-locality or you know how a particle can influence another particle I mean it's just so unintuitive but it happens to be true that you know it doesn't fit into our picture of how the world works mm -hmm. so easily but evolution does and so that's another reason why I think it should be taught because we can actually see it working that's why Darwin started the origin of species with a chapter on animal and plant breeding because everybody is familiar with our official selection, mm -hmm. you know, that leads naturally into the fact, well, this happens out in nature too, by the way, yeah. and that's the reason we're all here. Do Doctor, are you speaking of intuition? I think a lot of people, when they, when they look at uh, evolution, they think of evolution as uh, evolving into a superior specimen or superior species. How do we dispel the myth of that? Well, what I mean, you just teach evolution like it is that, you know, those individuals that carry genes that leave more copies of those genes are the ones that are successful. And those don't necessarily always go with, you know, being superior. What it means is it can lead to an individual being less adapted to its environment in many ways. The peacock, the male peacock is an example of that. He, he's been sexually selected by females to have these long feathers, you know, and the feathers are so long in a male peacock that they can barely fly and they get wet. Imagine a wet peacock trying to get off the ground. Oh. Um, you know, so, you know, in trying to please the female, 
they're superior in their mating abilities, but they've really gone downhill in their flying abilities. So evolution is always this compromise. And in fact, you can evolve in a way that will make you go, your species go extinct. I mean, I can give examples of that, but they're kind of arcane. Um, but if I were teaching a class, a more advanced class, I would give examples. And, you know, I have a, you know, a list of 15 misconceptions about evolution. I would hand that out and then discuss it with the students and try to dispel some of these misconceptions. As I said, evolution is really quite simple. It's not hard to grasp. Um, intellectually, it may be hard to grasp emotionally. Doctor, when you when you when you're looking at the future, I mean, you're retired now. You 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 can actually go mingle with the average person and all that. And when you look at the the, the political future of the U.S. and how people are reacting in general, are you positive? Are you optimistic? I should say when you you look at the future and think about uh, teaching of evolution. Well, are you just talking about evolution, teaching of evolution per se? Well, I'm thinking uh, the 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 public understanding it. Yeah, I am optimistic um, for two reasons. First of all, and they may be connected. First of all, if you do the Harris poll of acceptance of evolution, well, it's been pretty steady for the past. It started in 1982, and every two or three years they ask this question. You know, and, it, and creationism has been about 40% to 45% the whole time, whereas naturalistic evolutionists have you know, started off at 9% in 1982, but they've been growing. And in the, and that's the only trend that you can see in this data. Creationism is about the same. Theistic evolution, like Catholics, for example, which are about 30%, have dropped. And what has been rising is the acceptance of naturalistic evolution. So it's gone from 9% in 1982 to 19%. Fantastic. Yeah, well, that's only one in five. You gotta realize it's still. Yeah, I mean, a lot more people will accept, you know, physics and and other kinds of science mm -hmm. than will accept evolution. So, still, four out of five Americans reject evolution, as I teach it in the classroom. Nevertheless, it does seem to be a trend. Mm -hmm. The thing I think that's really going to kill it—I mean, that will kill the re rejection of evolution—is the, the death of religion. And it's palpably clear that in at least Western countries um, that religion is on its way out. It's slow in the United States for a number of reasons. But, I mean, look at all the latest polls in Great Britain where for the first time more than 50% of the people um, say they are not formally affiliated with the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Christian, um, this is happening in the United States as well, where nuns, those without any formal affiliation now some of those are spiritual some of them believe in a, in a god but they don't belong to church but a lot of them are atheists too that's rising as well and all over the western world it's happening eventually the west at least will become like i think sweden norway and denmark you know countries of atheists mm -hmm. if there's anything i really think the data show us it's that the less religious a country is the more willing the people are to Except evolution. You can plot the religiosity of different countries against their acceptance of evolution, and it's a really nice downhill plot. The more, <laughs> the more religious the countries are, the less there are accepting evolution. It's highly statistically significant. And, of course, the most religious countries, and those are largely Muslim countries, are the ones that accept evolution the least. But also the most religious countries in the West like in Europe, like Italy and Spain, for example, are the ones that accept evolution at least. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not counting on 
teaching evolution as a way to get people to accept evolution. What I'm carrying on is that eventually secularism is going to take over, and then there won't be any reason to reject evolution. The only reason to be a creationist is if you're religious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the only opponents of religion of evolution I've ever met, and I've met hundreds of them, have done have reposed evolution on religious grounds. Mm-hmm. So when religion goes, evolution will um, rise. You know, my, I'm I'm more concerned with you know the waning of religion. I would re- rather see that happen than a rising evolution, even though they're going to go hand in hand, because religion is a much bigger danger to people than creationism is. Creationism never killed anybody. It makes you sort of delusional and ignorant, but it doesn't, they don't throw you off roofs for believing in evolution. (laughs) They don't shoot you because, you know, you belong to one school of evolutionists versus another. So, you know, I will welcome the decline of religion more than I'll welcome the rise of acceptance of evolution but they're going to happen together here here good professor here here uh professor coin thank you so much for joining us on the show today but the mic is all yours sir please be shameless go ahead plug yourself plug your books if people want to find out more about you and uh, get your 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 fantastic reading books there where can you find them well yeah i'm not much of a self-aggrandizer i was taught not to do that but i'll, I'll just mention you know i have two trade books uh why Evolution is True, which is simply about the evidence for evolution for the layperson. You don't really need to know any biology and much less physics or chemistry to, to understand that book. It's a great read, too. Yeah, I like it. I'm, I'm quite proud of it. The other book uh, is called Faith versus Fact, Why um, Science and Religion are Incompatible. That's caused a bit more of a kickback by people, but... It summarizes the arguments why I think that religion and science are incompatible. Um, one's a form of superstition. The other one's an instantiation of rationality. That's, so those are the two books that you can read if you want. And then I have a website, which I write on daily, called Why Evolution is True. And you can go there just by putting those words together in one word, whyevolutionistrue.com. And that's my website. So Perfect. That's just- that deals with evolution, it deals with atheism, it deals with anything I've been thinking about, food, cats, anything, <laughs> you know, that I'm interested in, so. <laughs> Fantastic. Dr. Korn, before I let you go, can I get you to say, hello, I'm Dr. Jerry Korn, and I took a left at the valley. Hello, I'm Dr. Jerry Korn, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the one and only Dr. Jerry Korn. The enthusiasm in his voice was just infectious. It was wonderful to hear. He's such a great guy. I'd he love is. to just pick his brain all night. You know, you know, talk about I don't know everything and anything. Yeah, I <laughs> hope I hope he uh, he'll have the time to come back. Mm-hmm. I I sure hope so, and I think uh, we'll have him back and uh, discuss his views about uh, uh, free will, which is another fantastic topic. So, oh yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to that. A football player took a knee. For some reason or other, this symbolic move from a generous and honest man to bring attention to the plight of minorities, even today in modern America, has become so controversial that it threatens to split a united country. Amongst the idiocies of the current administration who is using the incident for political gains, and a large segment of Americans who are shown their blatant racism, there is a question not answered yet. A question that pundits, politicians, and every armchair quarterback isn't asking. 
How do we stop this racism? It's easy to dismiss this question as unsolvable and simply part of human nature, but let's ponder this. Carl Linnaeus, the inventor of zoological taxonomy, already tried to classify humans in 1735. By the time Darwin came on scene with his description of evolution in 1859, people were already trying to superficially distinguish between races, an impulse very strongly ingrained in us that we now call tribalism. Tribalism has always been supported by religious ideology. It would take until the 20th century and the decoding of DNA to understand that race is an outdated concept. There it is, a bad idea, supported by religion, debunked by better science. Problem with all this is we now live in a time where the information is easily available. However, it is held back or even fought against by old remnants of superstition. How can we stop racism? Education. But how do we educate people to understand that when we still hold on to ancient stories that appeal to our emotional side rather than our intellect? And that is the challenge of our time. No matter the issue, whether economics, climate change, or even racism, it's science that will answer them, not fairy tales that bolster our sense of tribalism. And that starts in the classroom, with good education for kids, and in the political arena with representatives not afraid to promote science instead of appealing to the emotion of the electorate. And with you, the average voter, to get involved and promote correct data and scientific research to these politicians and to your peers. It's the only way to shut down the voices who would rather take us away from progress because it feels good to them. Are you doing your part? And that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, guys. Certainly appreciate that. You can find us at leftatvalue.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter at LATV Podcast. You can send us an email at left at valley at outlook.com send your complaints to nancy at left at <laughs> well, after, after my language today i'm sure i'm going to get a lot of complaints make sure they come to the third floor <laughs> next week if it's not the end of the world yet because we got till the 21st apparently i uh, will have a william zingro he's an author we'll also be talking on the 14th to jeep the vegan that'll be interesting we'll talk about veganism and on the 21st we'll be talking to our friend aaron about brony no, oh my uh-huh. gosh. It's gonna for be Halloween, such, such we'll an have... interesting conversation. <laughs> for Halloween, we'll this have. This does a- sound interesting. <laughs> Bronies, bulls, and, and uh, sheep. We can talk to Aaron about all of those things. People have no idea what you're talking about now. <laughs> That's another thing altogether. On their Halloween special, we'll have Andrea Garantian, who will be talking to us about uh, the devil. And in November, we'll be talking to David G. McAfee, the author. And uh, in the new year, going way ahead here in the new year, we'll also be talking to our friend Michael Shermer. So that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. Get some good stuff coming out. Also, I I am in talks right now with Andrew from the uh, the Skeptic X crew and the uh, whose phone is that? Not me. Oh jeez. Anyway. <laughs> I have the Night Rider theme because right. I'm cool. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Until next time. Realize what you're saying, but according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard. Fighting this problem, religion is a disease. It comes.
awesome culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal Were you to say that Horus isn't real But Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told And believe in the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it Something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them Respect them the system is broke down, working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be